Well, as you've heard this morning, we do continue in uh, Romans uh, chapter 8. We come to a passage that is full of so much encouragement and hope, uh, some of which you've already heard a reference to. Thank you for that, Peter. That was encouraging and helpful. Uh, And and, and this has been a passage that I have really enjoyed inhabiting over the the past week. Uh, It's uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 27. And as we take a look at it, we're going to see that every single verse breathes hope. Every single verse speaks of it. The sure and certain hope of all things made new. That which we so deeply yearn for. And so as we, as we read this passage in just a moment, I, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to pay attention to the words. To listen for the hope that is yours as beloved children of God. Uh, to hear the promise of one day fully being set free from frustration and decay. From sin and death. I want you to think as we hear what Paul writes, think about the joyful reality uh, that follows the very real groans and pains of childbirth. And I want you to hear, and I pray that we would believe that the present sufferings are not worth comparing to the future glory. And remember... Uh, As we look at this passage, remember that biblical hope is not mere wishful thinking, not as the world thinks of it, but rather it is future certainty. It's the sure and certain knowledge of all things made new. And so with that, uh, let's pray and then we'll hear God's word. Oh, our good and gracious God, as we come to you now. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit who indwells us and opens us to hear and to see and to understand. And we pray that that would happen once again today, right now, that you would open your word to us and us to your word, that you would speak your surpassing glory into our present sufferings. And it's in Jesus we pray. Amen. And so Romans uh, chapter 8, verses 18 through 27. Hear the word of God. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, 
But we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And this is the word of God. So can you you hear the hope? Can you hear the, the hope and the encouragement just radiating from this passage? And and it follows what we heard last week about the Spirit's work in our hearts, assuring us. That we are God's children, assuring us that we have been adopted, loved, accepted, sons and daughters with an inheritance of glory, an inheritance far beyond our wildest dreams. And so that means that we can live with future certainty in the midst of uncertain times. In the midst of so much uncertainty in our lives, we can live with a knowledge of future certainty. Because you see, as children of God, we are people of hope. And here in Romans 8, Paul first speaks of the hope for God's creation. Verses 19 to 22. And he then speaks of the hope for God's children. Verses 23 through 27. And so that's how we're going to look at the passage. Uh, The hope for God's creation and the hope for God's children. And so first, the hope for God's creation. Verses 19 to, to 22. And we see right away in verse 19 that God's creation is waiting. Eagerly waiting. And waiting for what? Well, waiting for the children of God to be revealed. In other words, waiting for us, waiting on the fullness of our salvation. When we will be fully and finally conformed to the likeness of Jesus. Conformed to the image of God's Son. Because you see, creation is longing for the day when those in Christ will be glorified, glorified like him, when we will be made perfect, perfected like Jesus, without a trace of sin remaining, and raised in resurrection bodies, bodies that never fail, bodies that work as bodies should work, strong and healthy and magnificent. Creation is waiting, groaning, longing for that day, Because in some wondrously mysterious way that God has designed, creation will get caught up in our glorification and be perfected as well. 
Because as we read, creation will be brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Get caught up in what we are blessed with. Now, for now, creation remains frustrated, though. Subjected to futility. That's what Paul writes. And why? Well, no surprise, because of the fall. Genesis 3. When Adam sinned, all humanity fell into sin with him. And in verse 20 tells us that the created order has somehow shared in that fall. The world is not what it ought to be. The world is not as beautiful or majestic as it was originally created to be. And you see the same frustration that God placed on Adam and Eve, he also placed on creation. But he did so in hope. That is, with the promise With the promise that it too, that creation too, would one day be made new. But not yet. For now creation remains in bondage to decay. Caught in a continuous cycle of of death and decomposition. In fact, the whole universe is deteriorating and running down. Losing more energy than, than it can create. It's the second law of thermodynamics. But notice verse 22. Notice verse 22 where it says that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. So this is a glimpse of hope for us. Creation is groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Now, I have never given birth to a child Uh, But I have witnessed uh, my wife do so. And in in witnessing that, I have become convinced of two things. Uh, One, that I never want to go through childbirth myself. And two, men may often be stronger than women, but women clearly are tougher than men. My girls like that, didn't you? But seriously... It's a beautiful picture for us. It's a great picture of hope that God gives to us because rather than suffering that ultimately leads to destruction, even though the pain is very real. I mean, some women have been in labor for 24, 30, 36 hours. Very painful. But the pains of childbirth, it's a suffering that then gives birth to new life. And so the glory overshadows and outshines that suffering. And that's what we see here in Romans 8. That's what we're reminded of. That on the last day, creation itself will be rebirthed. Will be transformed. Freed from the effects of sin. And immediately become far more beautiful and majestic and fruitful than anyone could ever imagine. I mean, you can think of the most beautiful place that you have ever been to. Maybe it's the crystal clear water or snow-capped mountains somewhere, the Grand Canyon. And it will be far better. It'll be Narnia, but bigger and better than that. But until then, creation groans. 
groans in eager expectation. And so do we. And that brings us to our next section. And so second, the hope for God's children. Verses 23 to 27. Uh, Again, verse 23. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons. That is, the redemption of our bodies. Well, what we see here is that not only is creation groaning and waiting, but we also are groaning and waiting. And we groan because we too are frustrated and in bondage to decay. And also because we long for a new day. Because we long for the completion of God's work in us. So we groan because of the tension within. The already, not yet. You've heard us talk about that before. We see it here in verse 23. The already, not yet. Because you see, on the one hand, we already have the first fruits of the Spirit. God is at work in you. We've already been justified by faith. We've already been adopted as God's children. And we're already being sanctified into Christ's likeness. But on the other hand, we've not yet received the redemption of our bodies, the, the fullness and finality of our, of our adoption. We've not yet been glorified, not yet been made perfect like Jesus when we will be free from sin and have resurrection bodies like him. And so while we already have God's spirit at work within us, God is not yet finished with that good work. And so we deeply yearn. We yearn for that work. We long for that work to be completed. And as I was thinking about that yearning, that longing, that groaning, I was reminded of uh, Charlie and Rachel over the past year uh, with Charlie's dad. Because in the many long, long months, very long process of, of dying with cancer, Charlie spent significant time uh, caring for his dad, uh, even and especially when it was very difficult. And I remember this past spring, Charlie sharing how hard it was and and how he, with everything he had, was clinging to Christ in the midst of it all. And there was a song that he was listening to, or an album uh, really, but on it was a song, and he, he listened to it back and forth driving to Pittsburgh to be with his dad, and he shared the line from that song. And the refrain goes like this. Oh, this world belongs to him from beginning to the end. And all creation groans, Lord, bring us home and make us new again. All creation groans, Lord, bring us home. And make us new again. And I remember Charlie saying that he had seen that reality up close. Both in the, 
in the groaning of his dad deteriorating, and also that longing for a new day, for all things made new. Because you see, our groans express both present pain and also future longing. And Charlie praised God in the midst of it. He praised God that one day, everything and everyone in Christ will be restored, will be made new. Though this world belongs to him from beginning to the end, all creation groans. Lord, bring us home and make us new again. That day is coming. That day gets closer every single moment. And so Paul declares, verse 24, we were saved in this hope. We were saved in the sure and certain hope of one day being fully conformed to the image of Christ in living in a renewed world of unending joy and delight. But it's hard sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes it doesn't seem like there's really that much to hope for. We look around and we see the tragedy, maybe even experience it ourselves, much of what, what Peter was praying earlier. Sometimes it's hard to hold on to hope. But God is faithful. And God is not surprised by that. He knows it. And that is why he has given us his spirit. So that in our times of struggle, the spirit can hold on to hope for us. For in the same way that he upholds creation, verses 26 and 27, the Spirit, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And God, who searches our hearts, knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Friends, we are weak. Yes, we are weak. But hear this good news, because we are never alone. Never abandoned. God is with us. His Spirit dwells within us. I mean, talk about an intimacy, a closeness. And He prays for us. We struggle and pray imperfectly, but the Spirit prays God's perfect will on our behalf. He does it for us. He upholds us in present suffering and encourages us toward future glory. It's there. Keep looking. Keep believing. It's coming. It's coming. Because the Spirit knows and continually works to convince us that He who began that good work in you and in me 
is faithful to bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. The day that all things will be made new. Brothers and sisters, there is a sure and certain hope. A hope for God's creation, a hope for God's children. And there's one more thing. One more thing that I want us to see because where there's true hope, there can be a growing, though at times struggling, still a growing confidence that God will bring us home and make us new again. And so lastly, the confidence of true hope. Verse 18. You probably thought I forgot about that verse, didn't you? If you were paying attention. Were you paying attention? Paul declares, Paul begins this passage, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory, with the coming glory that will be revealed in us. Now friends, that is a bold declaration. And I want you to notice that in it, Paul holds together both suffering and glory. Because as we saw last week in verse 17, suffering is the way to glory. It's not the way we would choose it, but it is the way to glory. That's the way it was for Jesus. That's the way that it is for us. And you see, suffering and glory, they're they're inseparable. They're inseparable, but, and an important but, but they are not comparable. Present sufferings must always be seen in light of the reality that lies ahead. The reality of incomparable glory and eternal joy. But again, life is hard. And sometimes excruciating. And the Apostle Paul knows that. He knows it well. In fact, he had a lot of pain and suffering in his own life. One of my my favorite books is 2 Corinthians. It's a, a very real, we get to see a very real human Paul in weakness and struggling. And he confesses in the first chapter that at times he has felt crushed. He has felt driven to despair. That at times he was utterly burdened beyond his strength. Nothing left to give. And so much so that he even despaired of life itself. At times the darkness felt like death. Like a death sentence to him. And yet, in the fourth chapter of 2 Corinthians, he could state with such great confidence. But we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart for this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This slight momentary affliction I mean, that's not how I usually think about it. But for Paul to use those word, words, it's really saying something. It's saying something because the apostle 
has faced such severe hardship. And what it's saying is that what he sees ahead is incomparable. That it far outweighs what he is presently experiencing. You know, some, some suffering weighs so heavily. When we, when we think about the, the world stage, genocide, rape, human trafficking, torture, children dying of disease and starvation, and so many things that, that could be avoided, but so much suffering and pain and death. Some suffering weighs so heavily that if you think about putting it on, on one side of a scale, okay, one side of a scale, then what gets put on the other side of the scale to outweigh it must be weighty beyond all comprehension. And it is. It is. For it's the eternal weight of glory. It's everlasting joy, endless beauty, unbroken relationships. It's loving and enjoying the King of Kings as resurrected people on a resurrected earth. That's how one scholar puts it. That we will be resurrected people on a resurrected earth. You see, it's not that our sufferings are so small. But rather that eternal glory is so huge. Okay, think about it this way. Think about your suffering is a mountain. Okay, your suffering may be a mountain the size of Mount Everest. Your suffering is so great that you can't even see the top of it. And if you are at the top of it, you can barely breathe. But suppose you put that mountain on one side of the scale. That mountain. One side of the scale. And then on the other side, you put the heaviest planet of our solar system. Mount Everest, Jupiter. You know, in and of themselves, our present sufferings are real and they are weighty. But compare them to God's eternal glory, your everlasting joy. See them in that light. And our perspective changes, doesn't it? That's why Paul can say with such confidence, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And he knows, because he's been rescued, he knows that it's all because of Jesus. You see, God does not minimize or deny suffering. No, rather, he takes it head on. In Christ, God took the weight of the world on himself, the weight of all sin and suffering and death. On the cross, Jesus took what should be ours so that we could be set free. And on the cross, Jesus cried out in excruciating pain, groans that were groans of agony. And they were groans of agony so that ultimately our groans might be groans of longing and expectation. Groans of hope 
so that together, as God's children, together with all creation, that we can groan as a sign, as something pointing us ahead, a sign of new life to be born, new life to come. And it's the sure and certain hope of all things made new. And that is the truest story ever told. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for coming to us, for giving yourself for us, for taking on the frustration, the the decay, the death, So that we could ultimately be set free. And so that we could live as a people of hope. Thank you for securing what we so deeply long for. A day when there is beauty and majesty and perfect rest and joy with you. A new heaven and a new earth as renewed people of God forever. Strengthen us to hope in you all the more. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Please stand for our closing.